0: Welcome, listeners, to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode nine, and uh, I'm going to throw the gents a little bit of a curveball here, I haven't give them any warning, but I'm just wondering if they have any bodybuilding jokes uh, to share with the listeners. Whether anything comes to mind, and I'm happy to take the floor with the with the first one. You're going to have to, mate. I need to <laughs> have a think here. Bodybuilding jokes. Uh, you're going to have to take it.
1: Quick Google search. For you
0: so i've got a nice corny one to start off with so uh why did the bodybuilder cross the road
1: why why jack
2: (laughs) to get his steps in where'd you get this in a check-in sheet or something no
0: i just uh (laughs) and i did some brainstorming today and that's the best best one we could come up with unfortunately all right all
1: right all right i got one (laughs) what do undead bodybuilders crave
2: games (laughs) Gains. <laughs> just pull that straight off.
1: <laughs> straight Google. off. Google search. Yeah. Right,
2: right. My body. My bodybuilding friends are getting a divorce. Why? Oh, they clearly I... weren't working out.
3: Yeah. Nice. That's not too bad. You see that often on like shirts and stuff. I'm trying to think of one that's a bit more niche. If you
0: come back to me in the episode, I will give you something. we'll Just think... give me a bit of time to stew on it. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on it at the end before we wrap up. Yep, yep. I'm expecting big things there.
1: Where do bodybuilders buy groceries? swole Foods.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Just quietly. How good does Whole Foods look? Have you ever seen that in like people's stories and stuff? It looks amazing. Mm. Yeah. When I I went to
1: the US a couple of years ago, we went to Whole Foods to get most of our groceries, and it's yeah, it's very different from a lot of the grocery places that we've got here. You can probably spend a couple hours in there as a bodybuilder just looking through all the different (laughs) nutritional labels. Was that on holiday that you were just over there, DC? Yeah, just visiting my my dad, who lives over in the States. Uh, kind of go there every couple of years, go visit him. So, yeah.
0: Might have to tear it up with a show next time. That's the goal, man.
1: Yeah, try and get over to WNBF, WFM Worlds one day. So... Where does he live? Originally, this was in uh, Rhode Island. Um, and then he's living more in Atlanta now, so... Um, yeah d- different side of the of the country but at the time it was around the, the Rhode Island area New York sort of around district
2: yeah cool nice yeah the yeah. one in like dead center New York's huge as well when we went over there for the WMBF it was like <laughs> it's ridiculous like three stories like all these different foods everything is crazy Sounds
1: like I, dream, eh?
2: I used to live in Connecticut for about six
0: months over 10 years ago now but yeah, that's pretty pretty close to Rhode Island. Um, mm, it is. But let's start off with uh, a weekly recap, as as always. So, Lawrence, some exciting things have been happening on your own. So, I'll let you start off. Have they? Is Why it just me? the mini-cut? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> for, and for our standard, at least.
3: You're like, whatever. Yeah, that's about as exciting as it gets. Hey, But no, yeah, um, mini-cut has wrapped up. Food has just been the same again this week. So, now that we're back into usual off-season life Joey and I will go back to fortnightly check-ins so I'll check in with him this Sunday again and sort of see what he says Uh, but no all in all pretty good it was interesting I kind of noticed that in that first week back having more calories it almost seemed to reignite like a little bit more hunger I don't know if you felt this way as well Jack coming out the same thing like I feel like I was almost a bit hungrier last week on more
0: food than I was when I was actually in the diet. Did you find that? Yeah, I did. I actually, it's interesting you say that because I was certainly noticeably more hungry.
3: Yeah. So I found that a bit intriguing. Um Did but- you say
1: that you've changed your your food volumes though? So, like if, for example, if you tried to volumize your meal somewhat within the, the mini cut and you added more vegetables and things like that, and then you replaced that for rice or something along those lines, you're actually you know, eating less total total weight, really. So mm that may that may be a, the case
3: yeah look i think that's a that's definitely a fair point i did make it a bit of a point in the mini cut to not do any diety things like mm. i didn't swap out any carbohydrate sources i didn't try and volumize much at all because i want to revert, reserve that stuff for when i'm in prep and i actually need it um i always think it was maybe just kind of that instance like when you are post show and you've got more food coming in and it kind of just seems to ignite that hunger a little bit more look it's nothing out of control like everything's been pretty chilled Um, so nothing to complain about but yeah it's just been interesting because I don't really recall it being as noticeable the last time I finished up a mini cut Um, and it also coincided with the deload so I've had two sessions this week uh, back to normal training intensity both which have gone really really well so I'm pretty pumped up for this block I'm pretty excited to get after it And this Saturday, I'm going to be going down to Powerhouse Southside to get an upper session in with my mate Hudson, which will be good. And I haven't told you boys this, but I think I'm probably lining up a move to Powerhouse Southside at the end of this year um, alongside Club Line, which is close to my house. So the gym I'm at at the moment, I paid for a year contract, and I'm pretty happy to just see that out. And then you know November once that runs out, I'm probably going to go move over to Southside, so that'll have me training there two days out of the week, probably one more upper and then one leg day as well. They've got the leg room, so you'd be absolutely silly not to, um, which I'm looking forward to because I was kind of thinking about it and I was like, you know, this gym that I go to, it's a similar drive time, like it's pretty much the exact same drive time. It's just a little bit closer, you know, as the crow flies or on on kilometers and i thought you know it's a marginal difference for a infinitely better gym and i see that as a pretty good trade off and you know i don't really spend money on anything else so i might put it might as well put it towards something i really love
2: question i have is are you going to run the pendulum as one of your major leg movements since you have never run it before
3: i have used it before but you're right i've never run it i definitely will i think because i love it i get along really well with it actually so i think that you know, like a leg day there would be great. You've got the pendulum, you've got heaps of different leg press options, multiple leg curl options. Like you're pretty much a kid in a candy store when you go down there. And the other reason as well is that towards the end of this year, I want to get back into conventional barbell deadlifts. Like I'll probably transition away from the SLDL once I sign up at Powerhouse so I can use their barbells, which actually proper deadlift bars with a bit of flex and that sort of thing. Because the ones that, you know, my current gym uh Pretty ordinary for deadlifting. Mm. Is it, did you say it's the Watson hack at Southside or? Yep. Yep. It's the Watson. That's the only hack I've used. Oh, sorry. The pendulum, were you saying? Yes. The pendulum. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's the Watson pendulum. I don't believe I've used any other pendulum because the only other one I've used was the one at Stafford, which I'm pretty sure is a Watson as well. No, I think that's Arsenal now. I think they might've changed it. Okay. Cause I think it was Watson when I was there. Is, um, have you used that? I haven't actually, no. Okay, because I'd be keen to. I think the biggest thing is the Arsenal one with
0: like the counterbalance. I'm not sure to be honest. I'll have yeah, to. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to run. I'm looking forward to running it because like the hack squats, getting a bit uh, hard to progress. Um, but I, yeah, it, I'm looking forward to running the pendulum anyway because I've always had hacking in this off season.
1: Just come use the Cybex hack squat at Brenda <laughs> man. You'll you'll love
2: it. <laughs> oh, I love it! Yeah, you'll be making no banding. progress. No progress. <laughs> yeah. If that's the case, you'll be going straight from that five and a half plates back down to two and a half. Yeah. How many plates do you have on that DC?
1: Um, usually I'm doing around like three, three and a half. Usually.
3: Okay. Is there any any banding? No banding on yeah, on okay.
1: that on that one. Probably uh, it's more like two and a half, really. There were the the I think I was using a gym eighty I think it's a gym eighty um, hack squat at the the Gold's gym and that one you could absolutely load up like the prof- mm. the loading profile is so is so different and then transitioning to the one at, at Brindale you basically take two plates off either, either side <laughs> it's like you start your warm up and you're like God damn you, you rack it and you stand up, you stand off it and you look at back at the uh the pins and it's like is someone playing with me like pushing down on it as I'm as I'm lowering myself down.
3: Yeah, because I definitely find that on the Cybex hack, I need to have a bit of a reverse band to it. So I'll try rig up something where I can get the band to come on just in the hole to take a bit of pressure. Otherwise, it just irritates my knees too much. Like if I do it with no band, like, I don't know. I just feel like the the amount of load I need to drop off in order for it to feel okay on my knees is just not as worth it then from like a muscular standpoint.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about you, D.Y., anything new? Nothing crazy new. I'm um, nine weeks into this improvement phase number two. So last time when I wrapped up my mini cut, I pretty much planned out my whole next show season, which would be hopefully season B 2023 hasn't been set in stone. And when I did it up, I did about 32 weeks of pretty much like this improvement phase, which I'm not now nine weeks in. So everything's going really, really good at the moment. Like I'm making tremendous progress on pretty much all my lifts every single week is pretty much where I want to be the last, to be honest, it'll probably be the most productive I would have been over about the last three, four years with everything that's been happening in this world. Um, with gyms being closing gyms, closed, like prep and all that, this will probably be the most productive. Yeah. Next 30 weeks I'll probably ever have. So I'm super excited for it, but in terms of that, nothing crazy, really week, three of my current program progressions coming along very smoothly. Uh, my injury is slowly going away each week as well, which is amazing as well. So, hopefully, I can get back into like full blown training legs like 100% by the next program rotation, which will probably be in about four weeks. All fingers crossed.
1: So awesome. Are you doing any um, blood flow restriction training, DY? Because obviously, like any sort of, um, I guess, loaded hip extension might be uncomfortable. Might be able to do some blood flow restriction work.
2: Yeah, so my last program, which was the first six six weeks, well, last six weeks I did, um, I had blood flow restriction in there. It felt amazing. Like there was no issue with that. Then everything started getting better. And then I didn't want to keep the blood flow restriction in there for a second program rotation. So I took them out. Everything's going amazing still. So I just pretty much took it out. But if it was to cause me more issues, then I would probably play around with the blood flow restriction a little bit more.
0: Cool. What do you think will be that deciding point of whether you
2: do 23 or not i honestly think it would just be how many clients i have because like i've already got a very large interest for clients doing season b next year and like if i've got to do a pro debut i've got to like get leaner than i've ever been like you know i've got to tick all the boxes plus i'm gonna have the most clients i'm ever gonna have like you know i'm probably looking at already 10 people that want to do season b next year and that's like like a year, year and a bit away which is crazy so um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like on paper as a coach, I think it makes it more easy for me to do season a, just because every season a has the least amount of competitors, Uh, every year pretty much by about half so like you know if i was to do a season a i could probably get away with only three or four competitors under me or if i do season b i'd probably need to do like 10 competitors underneath me and then myself as well it just makes it a little bit more challenging but that being Mm -hmm. said as a professional athlete now you pretty much get two three pro shows at the end of the year where if you're to do season a you pretty much only get one to two but ideally i want to step up into the men's physique division anyway so doesn't really hurt me too much
0: yeah and I guess that's something that it's like a bit of a first world problem like being an online coach and having <laughs> lots of clients and like I'm sure uh, like three out of four of us uh, unless Lawrence becomes a coach like uh, we're all going to experience it at some point and I know BK for example like he has to
2: uh, be mindful of that when when choosing which season he does too Yeah, 100%. Like, you just gotta, like, I, my thing that comes first is obviously I'm a coach. Like, you know, I wanna make sure all my clients are doing well, everyone's happy, and then comes my competitive goals. So, Mm -hmm. as long as all the clients are happy, they're getting the best service possible, and, you know, if that means I have to do season A, hey, that means I have to do season A.
1: It's probably no perfect time to compete, right? At the end of the day, like, the old, the goal here for yourself, and I guess anyone in in their business when it comes to, let's say the coaching space is to always be busy, right? So mm. if you plan on competing in the future, there's bound to be a season where you're going to have multiple competitors at the same time. So yeah, it's it's obviously a challenging piece, but like you said, Jack, it's a bit of a first world problem really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about you though? Any any news? Um,
1: no, not really. I wish I, this is probably the hardest question that I find to answered to be honest, because every week is just sort of a, autonomous, like on autopilot regards to both training and nutrition. So nutritionally, uh my my cows have been pretty steady over the last sort of couple of weeks and that's because my my rate of gain has probably been sitting at around sort of 300 grams per per week so it's pretty much where where we want it to be there's no point in pushing additional calories in at this point in time if if my um my average weight over the course of the week is making making some movement and i think this is about week two of this training block which is going really really nicely so far so nothing really too much to report on the training front just uh, mm. just getting after
0: it. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh I'll I'll be able to say more about this down the line, but hopefully we can uh connect at uh Brendale and see each other in a gym environment more frequently.
1: Yep, I'll meet you at the, the hack spot
0: <laughs> <laughs> We'll destroy our knees
3: together.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You can come too, Lawrence.
2: <laughs> movement optimism, boys, movement optimism. Come on. It's always hard when you're in the off season uh because like everything's so like you know all right cows are high training's good it's like there's nothing really to report like when you're sitting there and you're doing mini cuts like these boys did it's like well another one kilo drop progress photos you know something to report on progression's holding or it's like hey i increased 1.25 kilos this week and uh got an extra rep on a machine it's amazing
1: (laughs) even from a a body compositional standpoint with progress photos like there's nothing really exciting to report (laughs) on that front either, right? It's like, you can't see any glute lines. (laughs) I
2: think it's like, I'm a bit softer again. (laughs) You're you're making very little visual change one week apart as a natural bodybuilder in an off-season, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah,
3: I actually had something I wanted to run past you guys. It's about a competitor who I know we're all pretty keen to see on stage, Mr. Tom McNamara. I actually saw that he's doing open bodybuilding and men's physique in the same season. So how do you think that's going
2: to go? It's interesting because it's going to be on separate days. You'll have the bodybuilding the day before. So then, therefore, he'll be doing the physique division the day after. So obviously, you know, you got to nail the absolute peak to perfection because you're going to pretty much need to peak for both shows. But, yeah, I'll be excited to see it. Big boy.
1: Yeah, he has a phenomenal physique, absolutely. And, I mean, you could almost say that the physique boy's um you know they they could really be bring conditioning that that is like endless really like if you wanted to push your conditioning to that of the bodybuilding category you, you probably could as long as it doesn't affect your overall um i guess if it yeah maybe affects your your fullness in a way but it's probably not the word to describe it but yeah it's an interesting piece you don't generally see a lot of people transitioning between like bodybuilding and physique it's usually like classic mm. bodybuilding you know or fitness and physique sort of thing so i think he has a very um aesthetically pleasing physique particularly for the physique category Um, in terms of in terms of bodybuilding it's always you know a difficult piece to know who's going to be up there on the day and Mm. sometimes being a taller athlete can be um, a bit more challenging comparative to the, the guys that might be you know quite shorter like chesa comes to mind where he's just like a nugget and everything's like incredibly proportionate but that being said you've got some really tall bodybuilders that come in and look incredible with this with the mass that they bring so it's um Yeah, I guess we'll only find out how he goes on the actual show day, but I'm super excited on his behalf because he looks insane.
2: I want to see Cheza in some board shorts doing physique. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, look, I'll DM him right now and be like, hey, man, this is what you're doing in your next even. You
2: need to find some custom board shorts for those legs. Yeah, yeah. Don't train at all for the next year. Just diet and then we'll see because otherwise he's definitely going to get marked down for too much upper body mass. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: I think that'll be the, that's my input on Tom. Is like whether he'll be doing IFBB men's physique or ICN because like I know they, at least in, in, at the state level for, for ICN, they've always gone for someone who looks a little bit more like a, a surfing sort of men's physique rather than an IFBB sort of men's physique look. That's actually a really good
3: point. I hadn't considered that because he's an interesting one because like what was DC was saying, it's generally different crossover. You don't expect it to be men's physique and bodybuilding, but you could see him doing very well just given how aesthetic his top half is, like mm-hmm. particularly his abdominals and his obliques and the fullness of the chest and the stuff like that. But yeah, maybe he's doing ICN bodybuilding and IFBB men's physique, which I could see him doing really well in in both mm-hmm. of those to be fair.
1: Yeah, the IFBB sure. physique guys are, are ginormous there, <laughs> so it's it's yeah, it's going to be a challenging piece to knock someone else off their um off the pedestal who who might be you know genetically blessed and also uh, pharmacologically enhanced. <laughs> but um,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So before we get into some questions, I'll do a quick recap just because I've got it's a little bit more exciting for me given I've just wrapped up a mini cut. So I think this is. Just verging on to two weeks after wrapping things up, so I finished up at around 86 and a half. I'm now about a kilo heavier. Uh, we did one week one week on slightly high macros, and then AJ bumped me up again quite aggressively. So I'm essentially where I left off now before the mini cut. So on about 600 carb, 70 fat, and 275 protein. So weight's certainly heading in the right direction now, and. Uh, I'm actually nearing the end point of it, of my block anyway. So I'll deload next week. And uh, I've this week, it's kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, really. Like training is a bit harder to, to see those progressions. On some movements, I'm just not getting any progressions. And uh, I need that week next week just to like deload and recover and then kind of uh, tackle that new block with like a fresh mindset. Because uh, particularly like as we talked about last week, the RDLs have been getting to me a little bit. And uh, even some of my pressing, like I've been running some of those presses for like literally uh, 50 56, 57 weeks straight. So potentially we might be um, looking at switching some of those presses out. Cool.
1: Sounds good. Yeah. Was
0: that the incline hammer press? Uh, that's the main one I'm looking at. Yeah, I've been, I've been trying to get to four plates side on that, but I think I can, but it's going to take a lot longer. I'm not sure if it'll be overly productive. Dude, I
3: don't understand how... Like, that's so strong on that piece, man. Like, that's crazy. It might just be that piece. I'm, I'm not sure. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Because, like, what, what would your dumbbell press be? Like, what would a low incline or a flat dumbbell be?
0: Yeah, I, I honest, honestly haven't, like, run those sorts of movements since I leveled up my pressing. Um, so, I'm not sure. I think in the previous offseason, I never got above, like, 45 kilo dumbbell pressing flat, which... I have
2: no doubt I could quite easily exceed now. Yeah. One thing I want to know is what's the biggest thing that's changed from your training prior to going to AJ and now that you've swapped to AJ, what's mm. the biggest difference? Did you pretty much take out those dumbbells and then just swap them all for machine based stuff or what was it? Yeah, it's
0: a good question. I think AJ's just helped me with leveling up the way I approach training and He's reduced my upper body volume slightly, and he's also helped me break down my movements as well. And I think before I arrived to AJ, I was rushing a lot of movements and that was taking away from my force production. And now like, I I would hope when you see a video of me lifting, like it's a lot more slower and controlled and that's translated well in the long run, like acutely, I noticed a big decrease in strength, but in the long run, it's helped me a lot. Yeah, I could definitely second that because I think, you you
3: know, you're never someone who's trained with sloppy form, but I definitely think that you have paid a lot more closer attention to your eccentrics now, like mm. comparing to previous, you know, sets or watching you on the leg press or the hack squat where you were maybe, you know, diving into the hole quite quickly, you know, now that technique, it's, it's controlled every inch of the way and, you know, the results of that have spoke volumes in the actual tissue that you've acquired. So Mm. no, it's good, mate. And it's just a, a good lesson to everybody out there. Like, even when you've been in this for a long time, you can always learn something new. Like I'm still learning stuff from all of you guys each week, like just picking out little things of, okay, they do this this way. He does that that way. And, you know, we're always evolving. Even people like AJ, they're
0: still learning from people. So it's a good reminder. Yeah, it always it's always good to have someone in your corner, and each of us have uh, someone in our corner. So, yeah, starting off with a, a more easy question to ease us into these. So, essentially, if we could create any flavor for a protein or a pre-workout, what would it be? DC, I'll let you start.
1: Probably like an Oreo flavor would be pretty good. If it tastes Pre, exactly like
0: pre-workout Oreo, it tastes
1: exactly like an Oreo, like an, like a, a a protein powder. Because I'll be the honest, i'm not a huge <laughs> i'm not a huge fan of protein powders i mean not not for i mean for for its benefit of obviously achieving set amount of um protein daily but i've never been a huge fan of the taste like most brands just taste like asshole i'm not i'm not gonna lie yeah. <laughs> you can throw a brand at me and be, be like oh no this is so good but like if you're just drinking that with water
0: man no good it'll just never taste as good as the real thing that's yeah, your
1: yeah, first yeah. mistake exactly
3: why are you drinking it with water <laughs> yeah Mate, I'll go milk every time. It tastes still, so much better.
1: I still don't think it tastes that that phenomenal. Like, I think you're you're kidding yourself if you're drinking this protein powder and you're like, man, this is like the best thing.
2: <laughs> See, when, when I'm in prep, uh, if I was to have a milkshake, I'd probably go like a rule one salted caramel. Like, I, I feel like that's like really good for a shake. And now if I'm going cream of rice or something like that, probably a rule one blend would either be vanilla or chocolate. Those would probably be, but now if I'm really deep in prep, I want some, want i with my oats, I'd probably go the uh, ghost cinnamon crunch cereal or whatever it is. That's probably what I would go. Those are the three that I've preferred in all What's those scenarios. Dream, though?
3: Like if you DY could create anything, what would it be?
2: Back in the day, I tried this one that was from MTS way, which was cookies and cream. And that was kind of elite. Like it was really good. Pretty much like an Oreo. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really good. The milk cereal from
1: ghost is actually not bad. Oh, I'm doing a little bit of backpedaling right now, but <laughs> yeah, he's probably, going back. That's that's probably the more enjoyable protein powder I've, I've ever had, to be honest.
2: The one time I had it with milk and it was ghost. It was the best. <laughs> yeah, of
1: water. How good.
2: I reckon I'll probably go pre-workout,
3: and I would go like a sarsaparilla flavored pre-workout. I reckon sweet, that would that go awesome. hard. Nah. Sarsaparilla was so good. You can only have one cup because you feel like your teeth are going to fall out afterwards, but it is good stuff.
1: Canotto flavored pre-workout.
3: <laughs> what is that?
1: Canotto is like Italian Italian Coca-Cola. It's like a little bit more of a bitter, bitter um, taste.
3: Okay. I've had a lemon, lime and bitters pre-before. It was actually really good.
2: Hmm. i don't know about that one i don't know about those two flavors but i don't know i reckon like a fanta flavor or a sun kiss flavor would be all right for a pre-workout I, you, you i can just sun drink those.
3: garbage mate
2: i can just drink those drinks so damn quick so they, they just have to be out of the house Maybe a Pep, maybe a pepsi max flavored one how about that <laughs> like a pepsi max flavored pre-workout we're done
1: should ask this question when we're actually in a, in a contest prep phase, in a dieting <laughs> yeah. phase. I guarantee you all have like a list of 10, 10 already written down. It'd be
0: still- the whole episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think for me, I would probably. I've always been a big fan of uh, cookie dough. So like some sort of cookie dough protein powder. So I'm. I've had VPA literally for like the past six years. I've never had any other protein other than like the sachets I get from ICN at the shows. So I'm, I'm certainly a novice in, in regards to protein. And I'm, I can only imagine how much the, the flavor development has evolved in, in six years. So yeah, with my pre, I'd probably have to choose something that could be hot since I, I drink pre-workout hot. So
2: probably maybe like an English breakfast pre-workout. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about like an ice, like a Lipton, like iced tea, peach flavored or something, but just yeah, not iced? That, mm. that could be something interesting, like yeah. a hot peach. Yeah.
1: still don't understand why you have your pre-workout warm. Like I'm just imagining you drinking out of like a a grandma's like teacup, a little saucer in the bottom. and (laughs) Just
0: dabbing the bag in. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 exactly.
0: No, you should try it. You
2: need to try it first before you give me any sort of negative feedback.
0: Don't try it. I tried it
2: once in prep and completely wasted my entire pre-workout and I was very, very upset.
3: I can't imagine uh, DC's like combination of his raw ingredients –
2: are going to yeah. taste that much better when it's hot. No flavoring, just straight beta-alanine tingles. <laughs> this, this is shit.
3: It tastes worse, and I have to wait for it to cool down.
2: Don't you guys uh, just dry
3: scoop your
1: beta-alanine? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. Actually, <laughs> one, one time... It's the little clumpy bits. <laughs> one, yeah. one time I took that uh, pre-workout, I think it's like... Is it ABE or ABC or something? And it, yeah, yeah. It has this like mega dose of of beta alanine and I took it hot on an empty stomach and it absolutely hit me like never anything I've had before. And I was spent the first half an hour of my workout essentially like itching my back the whole time. Um, (laughs) That's the worst beta alanine experience I've ever had. Have you ever guys ever had like a, a pre
3: with a bit of beta alanine in it and you like move quickly and it sends like a shock through your whole body? That happened to me once and it went up my neck and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm about to go to ground and just like (laughs) die. It's a very, very odd feeling.
0: No, that sounds like something you need to see your doctor about.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it was some sciatica or something.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, let's move on to the next question. And this one says, I think there could be two different sort of aspects to this one. Lawrence, I'll let you kick this off. It says... What's your mindset leading into a show from an athlete's perspective?
3: Yeah, I guess that's, you know, fairly broad. But I guess if we're thinking about the week leading into the show, like the peak week, I think that's where it's probably going to depend on what are you hoping to get out of that show? Because, you know, like a lot of us, we've been doing this for a while now it's probably not going to be good enough for us to just rock up and think, you know what? I'm here to do my best. I'm here to look my best and whatever happens on the day happens. Like I'm pretty sure the four of us could agree that we're not really taking that mindset into the show. Like we're at the point where, you know, we're, we're wanting to win and we're putting in months of effort not to come second, but to come first. So, but I don't necessarily think that's the approach that you should take if it's your first ever prep um it's an interesting perspective you know the whole bodybuilding is it about beating others or is it about beating your own personal best version and i think that i can't remember who said this may have been one of you guys but like if you've gotten to the point in your prep where you already look better than your last stage showing and you know that barring some catastrophic catastrophic event you're going to beat your last package well then it's like there's no point in that being your golden goose on the day because you've already done that. Like in 2020, when I was, you know, eight weeks out, I knew it was going to be much better than it was in 2018. Like we blew that out of the water. So it's kind of like, well, we've beaten the previous package. What now? And that's where I think the mindset can shift to being more like, okay, I want to beat everyone else who's there on the day. So I think it's probably just more so a conversation you need to have yourself like, what are your expectations with this season and what are you hoping to get out of this show? Are you just wanting to improve the look because you're still starting out? Are you just wanting to see how it is? Are you trying to experience the sport or are you a little bit more experienced and you're wanting to actually win the show? Um, But look, I don't think I'm like full Michael Jordan mode, like growling at everybody. I think it's for the most part, a pretty normal week. And I think, you know, you try to keep things as normal as possible Uh, because you don't want to get too funky on peak week, really.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think for me, being realistic is super important. Like while I'm very competitive and I want to win, I'm also realistic in the sense that bodybuilding is subjective and you don't know who's going to turn up. And if someone beats you on the day, that's not... it's, It's to a degree in your control, but it's not completely in your control. And especially when I see some competitors who maybe don't look that good um, maybe from a conditioning standpoint and it's two weeks out and they say, okay, I've got this in the bag. I'm going to win. Like at what point does it become unnecessary confidence or confidence that might even hinder them? Because how are they going to feel afterwards if they haven't placed as good as they have been hoping and maybe them, so they've been building it up along the way. Um, yeah. Which is, I think that's also a role as a coach, um, which is a whole another discussion of like, How do you tell, how how do you present competition prep to an athlete, especially like a first time competitor when bodybuilding is such a uh, subjective sport? It's not like a soccer game or a running race where you can quite objectively win that.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to be, you can almost define your, your motivation or your drive as like intrinsically or extrinsic motivation. So particularly within that peak week, it might be centered around, you know, I want to achieve a certain placings and that would be more of an extrinsic motivator and that intrinsicness would be more associated with I can't wait to just bring my best package you know I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish from a mindset perspective like I know I'm going to look amazing on stage look at what I've achieved all that sort of thing and I think you probably need to be somewhere down the middle I think if you're a first-timer and you're perhaps too too married to the idea of a placing or a pro card or something along those lines it could actually have a bit of a detrimental effect to your to your overall enjoyment factor within your contest prep, particularly if you come out the other end and you don't achieve the placing that you would like. And as we know, it's a subjective sport, so it's not who crosses the finish line first sort of thing. So, yeah, and if if, if therefore you don't achieve that 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 stage um, medal or that first, then you definitely don't want to come out the other end and just be and, and reflect upon your prep, you know, angry and frustrated at yourself because you weren't like present in the moment. You were so fixated on the placing so i think it's 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 always a matter of i guess looking at the individual and and maybe deciding as to where their their motivation and their drive is coming from is it a matter of it's you know right down the middle is it sort of leaning a little bit more towards the extrinsic motivator and right at this point in time and is it potentially affecting their overall enjoyment within the condest prep or is it they're too sort of intrinsically Um, motivated and maybe they don't have that sort of oomph or or hunger to do really well on stage it's like they're in peak week and they're like oh I've done you know everything I can do and it's like well no you haven't done everything you can do you've still got this last week to nail you know so I think it's yeah I'm more more sort of in two minds of of how I would approach um, someone's mindset within that peak week I think it's always bespoke Mm -hmm. to the individual
2: yeah, I pretty much agree with everything that's been said. I know that um, like what Lawrence said, like I remember being one week out, like pretty much in my last show where I won my card and I was just sitting there. I was like, at the end of it, I was like, well, I've done everything I could in my power. I looked the best I ever had been. And it's like, I was like, I'm just going to finish the week, give it a hundred percent, go into the peak week, nail it show day. And whatever happens is whatever happens. If I get rewarded for the hard work, Like, you know, so be it. If I didn't I got a second place, well, back to the drawing board. And I think one big thing is like, you know, the improvement that you need to make for yourself, especially like over the shows and like going into it. Like the biggest thing is the self-improvement is like, you know, if you're always focused on that like you know that trophy or that sword or the pro card, you never know who shows up on show day. Like you've seen it time and time before, where someone comes into a show you've never seen a bit of them on social media and they win, and they've been training for twenty years. They deserve it more than you. It's like just how it's got to be. But I think like you know, if you can focus on yourself, especially going into the shows, knowing that you've done everything, then yeah, that's that's one big thing. Like you know, like I said, I went into the show knowing that I gave it hundred percent. I couldn't give any more. Ticked every single box. If I came second, I came second. If I came first, I came first. So it was whatever happens, whatever happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still completely agree with Lawrence though. I think, and I, I think I can speak for all of us that we still want to come first, but it's also a bit about being realistic too. And I think there should be more realisticness for first-time competitors unless you are a freak. Um, anyway, let's let's move on to the next question. So this, one, this is one I won't be answering. And it says, place for chiro in bodybuilding versus physio and remedial massage. So I'll certainly be handing this one over to Lawrence. Yeah, look,
3: I think this is one where it's very easy to expect like the physio to bash chiropractic and say, no, it's got no place in healthcare. It's no, a bunch of quacks.
1: Like- <laughs> oh, wait,
3: yeah. wait, the camera <laughs> wasn't rolling back then, was it? No. <laughs> And look, to be honest, like, it's not for me to say that there are good and bad elements of healthcare or that one profession is good and that another one is bad. But I think that chiros and physios can both encounter similar issues within our practice, depending on the sort of practitioner that there are. Now, yes, like at the roots of it, chiropractic does focus on some I guess, concepts of treatment that we know now from the research are a little bit outdated. So for example, just because you manipulate someone's spine, you haven't actually changed anything to do with their joint. You haven't changed their joint structure or arthrokinematics or anything. You've just given them something that temporarily might relieve a bit of stiffness and reduce some pain. But being that said, you know, if you're going to someone and you know that that's all that they're doing, And they're not trying to sell you some narrative that your spine is misaligned and you're going to need four sessions a week for the next 18 years in order to correct it just to feel a bit less back pain. You know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, if they're being diligent with also prescribing exercises, sound advice and education, ways to manage your symptoms, you know, at the end of the day, like seeing a good chiro and seeing a good physio shouldn't be that different. It may just vary in some of the manual therapy approaches that they choose to take. And look, I think at the end of the day, any practitioner, be it a chiropractor or physio, if they are too reliant on manual therapy or instances where they're just using their hands or other modalities like cupping and dry needling, if that is the foundation of their intervention with you, then I think that's a bit problematic because we know that these things aren't long term fixes. They are adjuncts to treatment that are used purely to provide pain relief to someone when they are in a lot of pain or when their particular injury is very irritable. If they're using that long term, then I would argue they're probably not doing their job as well as they could. Um, and, you know, for like remedial massage therapists, you know, at the end of the day, like you don't need a degree to give someone a massage, it's pretty simple. You just need to push on the point that hurts work through that area a little bit, desensitize it. And now, yes, it's, it's better if someone has a, a qualification in these things and it's not just some Joe blow off the street. But at the end of the day, like I don't have gripes with chiropractic as a whole or RMTs as a whole. I have an issue with practitioners who are misleading patients, who are creating false narratives, who are creating barriers to exercise. Those are things I have issues with. And we can see that in a range of professions from chiros to physios, um, to ex to coaches, to personal trainers. It's, it's rampant across the industry. So, you know- Politicians too. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I have an issue with um, the choices that people choose to make in terms of things that they do. Um, just because they are a chiropractor, it doesn't immediately think I, it doesn't immediately make me think they're not good at what they do because there's good and bad of every profession.
1: It's probably more bespoken to the individual, right? How that how that individual actually practices in comparison to simply whether they're a chiropractor, uh, a remedial massagist, or, or a physio.
0: Completely agree. Mm. I mean, you can even make the, the tangent between maybe dietetics and a naturopath uh, because similar to how the, the qualifications around chiro versus physio work, but I'm sure there I don't have many dealings with naturopaths, but I'm sure there are some who give out great advice Yeah. And I just think it's
3: like, it's almost the age old argument, you know, like even sometimes I have patients who are like, oh yeah, I used to see a chiropractor for this. And they're almost kind of like a little bit bashful when they say, and I'm like, that's not an issue. Like, I think they're expecting me half the time to go, oh, like chiropractor is, it's terrible. Like, why would you go see them? Like at the end of the day, like I used to see a chiropractor and he was very good at what he did basically it was like seeing a physio except he probably just did a few more joint manipulations than a physio typically would and look did I agree with everything that he said no looking back there's probably a few things that were a little bit hit and miss but for the most part you know he was prescribing me exercises giving me good advice and education for modifying my symptoms and you know it got me to the place where I wanted to be so I think that sometimes certain physios can take a bit of a holier than thou approach because they're like, oh yes, I'm the evidence-based king. I'm a physio, not a chiropractor. But at the end of the day, you can get terrible physios um, and you can get terrible chiropractors. You
2: can get good physios and good chiropractors. It's all just down to the individual. Mm. I think there's good and bad of like all the industries, like, you know, and sometimes there's a little bit of roll of the dice, you know, what you get. Um, But me personally, I, um, I ran massage therapist entirety through PrEP um they were amazing i just did it for like posing um mobility and so on like that just a deep tissue massage it was really helpful in my opinion but obviously the difference in where i'd utilize them like you know if i was having an injury like let's say my lower back was like you know causing me a large amount of issues that massage therapists might not be able to fix and you know then i'd go to like a physio like lawrence might and then maybe you know I'm not the biggest fan on chiropractors as well. My partner's been to one for like, let's say a whole year for a spinal condition. And it was pretty much come back every week. No real benefit to it. It wasn't getting any better and they weren't prescribing any exercises to help it or anything along the lines of that. So then that's kind of what Lawrence said. You got the good and the bad of every industry, but like if you're going in there for a 10 minute crack and then off you go, and then it's not getting better than Kind of just like a money sink. It was like, well, what's the point on going? But that's just my two sets on it. So, but yeah, I think there's, I, like I said, I used massage therapist the entire way through prep, found it really helpful. All my niggles would go away every single week. My posing was good, didn't have any issues with mobility, getting my lats out, uh, hamstrings, or anything like that. And if I did have an in- issue and it wasn't going to get fixed by massage therapist 99% of the time, I'd probably go to a physiotherapist.
0: I I just don't want anyone cracking my neck for me I I, I always (laughs) cringe at those videos
1: you could almost take it down a similar situation with um, exercise physiology and and personal training as well so someone who might go to university and study exercise science or exercise physiology and become an an accredited exercise scientist or exercise physiologist and really you know in, in a way we're sort of tertiary educated personal trainers but like peas get degrees, so it, you could still graduate with these degrees and still be an idiot. <laughs> so you know it doesn't automatically mean that that you're um that you're practicing in alignment with you know an evidence-based um, consensus. So yes, I think it's always bespoken to the individual at the end of the day.
0: Cool. Well, this next this one
3: bespoke count is that three for those three. playing at home.
1: Three worth?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think no. I think you've said it three times. So just keep tally up we need a bespoken count like on screen or like flashes for our next instagram highlight bespoke, bespoken.
0: bespoken t-shirt as well for dc
2: <laughs> yeah the name on the back of it it's so, the only word i've got written down
1: on my notepad
2: <laughs> keep coming <laughs> back we love it prompt so
0: this next one says should icn include posing routines for bodybuilding that's what the full question said anyone want to start off this one
1: I think it would be awesome to, to be honest I like I, I love that element of, of, of bodybuilding any artistic um, nature that you can you can bring to it uh, the challenge would be for example at the the ICN shows that the the shows themselves run so late into the night or so late into the afternoon so if you were to add uh, an additional aspect of, of stage stage time whether it be you know posing posing or not um, it's going to make the days a hell of a lot longer. so i don't I don't see how you could make it viable, to be honest, but I would love it if it was included because I think it's an incredible element of of um of bodybuilding that we don't necessarily get to portray.
0: Mm. Yeah I mean, my sort of two cents on it is, one, I think it's it's hard for it to be objective in my opinion, because they're they're not unless you just score the routine or score the muscularity in the routine. You're not necessarily comparing other people on an even playing field because they're not together. And my other thing as well is they don't control the poses. So you could you could pick whatever pose you want. And these days, people chuck a lot of classic poses into their routines, which I think is awesome. I love watching the routines. But from an actual scoring standpoint, I think it presents some difficulties.
1: I'm not actually sure whether a posing routine is scored as a part of, like mm-hmm. as a separate aspect of the scorecard in bodybuilding. I, my my And were, I might give you completely wrong, but I thought it was like all encompassing. So um, it was just an, an, an element of adi- adding additional stage time. But at the end of the day, you were still made comparisons to like the other competitors.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. Yeah, it's always a tricky one because it's like, yeah, if it's difficult to score, okay, then let's not score it. And then you can have the argument of, well, if it's not going to be scored, is there a point doing it? But I think we also have to consider like, that's a nice element. For the spectators to actually be able to watch something that's a little bit more engaging, probably a bit more entertaining than like the people running through the muscularity rounds. So, it probably would be good for a spectator perspective. But yeah, completely what DC said, it's just the time factor. I think that the only way that you could maybe incorporate them is say that at the national shows, like if they were a bit stricter on the numbers and it was like you have to qualify you know, top one, two, three, and it was only going to be a select manageable number at nationals, then maybe you could allow people to do the routines because you know it's only going to be this many people. So you could account for it in the show. But obviously bodybuilding's not at the level yet where we can be too picky with how many people we're going to allow into the show because at the end of the day, money talks the loudest and you're never going to turn away a three to four hundred dollar show entry um, in most cases.
1: I believe at the national show in 2019 for ICN uh, down in Sydney, I'm pretty sure they had the the pros come out and do their routine, and it was only like 20 seconds, but it definitely added an extra element of like flair that yeah. time that was really-
3: yeah. I like that, you know, like getting the pros to do it. I think that's cool because these are the people that are top the sport. You want to be able to see them do a bit more. I think that's that's a good idea.
2: The only thing with that is, is obviously the pros, there's only one division and it's the pro lineup where now if you've got like the full ICN show, you've got the first time is you get the novice. And then by the time you go through like 10 divisions, it's going to go for a very long time. You could do something like what the IFBB does. I know they do it with the bikini girls, especially is the first time you step on stage, you do your posing routine. And then that's it. You don't do it for the third time you're on. You don't do it for any other time. The first time you show yourself, you're pretty much up there, and you get to run through your posing routine. And that's before everyone's been called out. So in that way, you know, obviously everyone gets a chance to show their posing routine. But that being said, like what Jack said as well, you know, you don't get to be judged against anyone else because all they're seeing is like pretty much you. So I reckon maybe like doing the posing routines um, for the bodybuilding and classic physique guys, uh, guys only. But, you know, they're not judged at all because I know sometimes some poses can get like marked down because like they're throwing in like a certain pose that might not be fully bodybuilding. Maybe they might throw a bodybuilding back double by, but it might have a classic spin on it. I don't want them to get marked down just because they decide to do that to show the, you know, everyone that's watching that. Hey, like I can do a different back double by that's a bit more classical. Cause I know that's happened in the past where someone will come out and do a routine and they're like, well, that's actually not classic. That's like full blown bodybuilding and you know, bam, they get marked down for it.
0: Yeah, I would like to see some bodybuilders do a T walk like the bikini competitors. I think you could pull that off DY quite well.
2: I've got to be a bodybuilder first, but I reckon <laughs> that Lawrence would be able to pull it off. I've seen him in those latex little trunks and it'd be a piece up there.
3: Hey, he loves this. This guy, it's the second time he's brought up on the pod. Starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, really. But no, I will, you know, you walk down, you do that little like shoulder thing that they do, like just <laughs> yeah, raise yeah. it and then back down. Shoulder
2: shrug. Little... Say so you're uncomfortable, but then I guarantee you're going to stand up, go grab a glass of water and you're probably wearing them right now.
0: <laughs> You've got to keep that thing on you, mate. You got to. Okay, so this next question says, what to do when you have stopped progressing on a movement? So Lawrence, I'll let you kick this off.
3: Yeah, so I think... Once again, context is going to be important. I think we can probably all agree if you're in the instance where you're in the depths of a contest prep, if you're no longer progressing a movement and you're just fighting to hold on to performance, probably need to chalk that up to be pretty normal considering that you're in the depths of you know that dieted state. If it's in the off season and you've just been running something for a very long time and it's just getting a little bit stale, I think you need to be realistic if you're looking at your form and you sort of check it over with your coach and you guys are both pretty happy that there's nothing that you could change, nothing stands out. It just may be the case that it's time to switch it out. So depending on what the movement is, you know, try to keep it in the same vein. Like you're not going to switch out a hack squat for a leg extension necessarily. You're probably going to keep it as something that's also like a squatting pattern. So for example, where the Cybex hacks started to feel a bit iffy, Switched it out for a bubble back squat. Okay, that's starting to feel a bit ordinary now. Let's switch it in for a a paused Smith squat. Uh, All similar movements going to be hitting a very similar group of muscles. But yeah, that's basically what I would say. You know, as long as the technique is sound and there's no changes that need to be made to the form, it just may be that you've run your course with it. You've chipped away at it for a good eight months, six months, a year even. And it's just time to freshen up a little bit
0: yeah i'd agree with that i think often when i think i have stalled at a movement or a client has stalled i'll usually brainstorm okay what are the contributing variables to having potentially stalled in that so whether that's a change in body weight are they in a deficit or has their body weight stalled Uh, are they fueling themselves appropriately are they mentally approaching that workout routine or set with the right mindset so yeah I, i don't have much else to add other than what Lawrence said
1: if yes. I was back on my training when I like first first started training at university, uh, a little bit more seriously, and I this was my first year of uni, so I was completely vanilla. You know, I was I mean, in a position where I didn't really know much about exercise science at that point in time. But I just started investing a little bit more time um, performing some of the power lifts, so you know, deadlift, bench press, back squat. And I remember I used to go into my sets, and I'd always work up to like a top single, and and then that was it. It was almost like a, an ego lift. Like I'd come in there and I'd just try and put as much weight on the bar. And then once I got to my limits, I would unrack the weight, and I'd walk off, and prioritize something else. And again, this is I knew nothing at the time, and I was why am I not getting any stronger at this movement? Like my my rep max is not not going up, and it's because my my total volume was just so damn low because I was only performing you know sets sets of one. So my ability to actually improve my efficiency within the movement itself was very limited because my my total reps in a particular workout was just so so low so uh, once i actually took a step back and was like you know what i'm not gonna stop i'm gonna stop ego lifting a little bit here and pull the weight back and actually start performing some 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 good quality reps with this weight then it wasn't until i, I started actually making profound improvements within my Uh, my sets in in this particular movement so sometimes i guess it could even just be i mean this is a ridiculous case in in that regard but reflecting back on you know your your training approach and do you need to get perhaps stronger within a a different rep range for example you could always adjust um, rather than perhaps just subbing the exercise completely out you could always look at exercise sequencing as well so if it's a big particular movement that you've plateaued in it's your second movement or third movement if you really want to prioritize this you could always bring it up to your first whether you've got. Um, I guess greater greater energy to invest within that movement itself so yeah there's there's uh, I think it's always individualized, but you could approach it any any which way really just like you have sort of highlighted there
2: Lawrence these boys pretty much have it all covered. But like, obviously like what Jack said, like we look at the contributing factors, like let's say the weight has slowed down on the said movement. Let's say it's an incline barbell bench press. Um, obviously looking over everything, like looking over the form, the tempo, like if all that's in checked, like, you know, maybe it might be the intensity. Maybe I, I know some people are like, Oh, Dan, I'm on like week five of the program. I, I think I need a deload. It's like, well, do you actually need a deload or are you just not digging in? And then, you know, I might show up and I'll be like, all right, I'll spot you this week and they get an extra two reps. And it's like, all right, well, maybe the intensity wasn't there. So have a check all these boxes first before you even thinking about subbing out a movement. Cause a lot of people like, you know, you add in a new movement first six 60 Six weeks come like come like anything like you're sitting there you're progressing 2.5 kilos just because of the novice gains within that lift and then it starts slowing down it's like as soon as it starts slowing down people like oh man i've got to sub this out it's not not making any progress anymore it's like well you've just started to get to the grind now now's where the fun really starts it's like you know then you start trying to really tack on that progress it's like you know maybe the intensity might not be there especially once it gets to those weeks that do get a little bit harder so like what these boys have said check all the boxes before you think about, you know, subbing that lift out, Uh, if everything's, you know, being crossed and the lift's not moving anymore and you run it for a decent course of time, maybe it is time to make the swap. And then like what Lawrence said, you know, don't go swapping a barbell back squat out for a leg extension or something like that. You know, pick a similar pattern, you know, that's obviously going to maybe cross transfer back into that lift. So, you know, maybe go to the Cybex hack squat. If, you know, you're struggling to get out of the hole, you know, practice it on the Cybex hack, run that for a couple of program blocks and then maybe swap it back. See how you go then back on the barbell back squat. Should have paid some uh, dividends. Yeah. Yeah, these boys pretty much have it all covered very it's nice it was a
1: process of diminishing returns right when it comes to making improvements over time so for someone who is has a really high training age and they're been training for you know 10 years 20 years 30 years like the progress that you're making amongst your movements is probably quite minimal right you're celebrating every like rep that you can you can you can add on or every 1.25 kilo weight that you can you can add on and these might be like far between you might make one progress uh within a movement over the course of a month you know particularly if you're prioritizing some of your more compound compound lifts so it's you know it's not not just then a, a matter of subbing out these these movements because you're not progressing within them um yeah so I, I feel like it's one of those things where it's you want to you want to change your exercise selection enough to to get you know appropriate diversity within your stimulus but Like you said, sometimes you have to really reflect inwards to go, okay, am I actually making the most of of what I've got within these movements themselves? It's not not the movement itself that's the problem here.
0: Yeah, I think some people often misinterpret what is progression as well. Like I'll have clients that come to me and be like, I'm not progressing, but then I'll check out their spreadsheets and I'll see week to week. They're like, they're literally gaining a rep every week but it's just maybe not meeting their expectations in terms of how, how fast they should be progressing.
1: Yeah, like why aren't I deadlifting 200 for reps? Like I was deadlifting like 100 last week. Like what, what's going
0: on? Like... It's pretty slow progression. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're nearing the end of today's episode. I'm just waiting on Lawrence's joke. And I have it for you, sir. All
3: right, buckle in boys. And this is, uh, this is straight from the, the mind of General Muscle. So let's see how it goes. All right. What is a bodybuilder's favorite pasta dish? Do you
2: want to know? Yes, I'm dying to know. Legatoni or something.
3: That's not a bad effort. Spaghetti Diana Bolognese. (laughs) (laughs) I basically Uh, didn't listen to the first 10 minutes of you guys recapping your weeks because I was just trying to think of a joke. And once I nailed it, I could actually join back the discussion. So I hope it was worth it. What well, happens I if you mean, forgot like about
1: it? St- staring off into space for I was just like, <laughs>
3: Yeah. What happens if you forgot about it and you came back at the end, you're like, shit, what Sorry, the hell? Boys. No, I knew, I knew Jack wouldn't forget. So I could
0: not have let him down in that instance. Thank you. I'm sure the listeners were dying to, to hear it as well. Absolutely. All on the edge of their seat. Great. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. So just a reminder, we are on Instagram. So you can check out our Instagram page, bodybuilding down under where we post weekly content and uh, that's where we ask for all the questions as well so make sure you're following us on there all of our personal pages as well which you can all find on on bodybuilding down under and uh, if you haven't left us a five-star review as well that would be much appreciated on uh, spotify or on apple podcasts Uh, without further ado though we'll see you guys next week for episode 10